So, last week, we began the section of the message uh, of the series on the being a people of peace. And we looked at what is arguably one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture um, in all of scripture, really the blessing of Aaron, where we saw it was, it's the heart of the father from the very beginning, that peace would be that, that what reigns in our life, that his desire, his heart is peace at every level, shalom, wholeness, goodness. And at the very beginning, we saw in this beautiful story from the life of Moses and Aaron as the high priest, that, they, that um, he desired as one of the roles of the priest that they would, this spiritual power would come and they would bless us with what the words that you just heard saying. That that would be said by the priests over all the people, the people of Israel. And the climactic moment of, of that blessing of Aaron is that we would experience his shalom inward peace, peace in relationship, peace in community, peace in the promised land that he was directing them, peace in terms of other nations that there would be no more war and that we would be, we would live in this world as a people of peace, that we would be promoters of peace, that we would be makers of peace, not just that we would keep the peace, not just that we wouldn't um, uh, uh, throw wrenches in different aspects of our lives, but that we would actually be a people of peace, that we're bringing the peace of God into every relationship, every aspect of our lives. Now, what I've done with um, being a people of presence and a people of power as we looked at the Old Testament and saw that this was part of God's narrative for us, part of what God wants us to be, a people of presence, a people of power, and a people of peace. Started in the Old Testament with Moses, and then I moved to Jesus to see how wonderfully Jesus lives out the heart of the Father in the New Testament context. However, there's a light snag in doing that with peace. There's some words that Jesus shares that seem to be contrary to the words that we looked at last week. There seemed to be a, a challenge in a way that I, I think that I felt we had to address if we are going to move and truly understand the peace of Christ. These words come from Matthew 10, 34, right when Jesus is in the middle of his ministry and he says this, that first passage of scripture up there on the screens. If we go to that, there it is. Jesus said, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Why on earth 
would Jesus say those words? Didn't Isaiah say that the Messiah, that he was going to be the Prince of Peace? Those don't sound like words from the Prince of Peace, right? Didn't the angel, when he was announcing the birth of the Messiah, didn't he say, on earth peace to those whom his favor rests? That doesn't sound like the Messiah born in peace, bringing peace to the world. Didn't Jesus say in another place, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you? Did we have it wrong last week? Is he not calling us to be a people of peace? How do we understand the heart of the Father and the blessing of Aaron and the call of peace and the Messiah who would bring the gospel of peace with those words of Jesus Christ? I think we need to figure that out. I think there's a story in the New Testament that that helps us bring these two together from the Gospel of Mark. If you turn with me there to the chapter to chapter five, we're going to look at the story, and it's going to help us not only understand these. It, it seems like strange words of Jesus on his lips, but it's also going to help us to understand what I believe the heart of the Father of peace and how we stretch and we reach for peace as a people. How we lean into peace. How we long for peace. In some ways, how we do battle for peace. For our own peace, for the peace of the nation, for the peace of the world. So let's read together. It's a story in chapter 5 where, again, Jesus is in the midst of his full-blown ministry. He is proclaiming the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. And he is demonstrating that kingdom. The kingdom is coming. The reality of heaven is filling the earth through the ministry of Jesus and bringing healing and restoration wherever he goes. And then there is a, a leader who his, I believe it's his daughter, his little daughter is dying. He asked Jesus to go. Jesus is on the way and he's in the midst of this large crowd and everybody's pushing in on him and he's trying to work his way through the crowd and people are pushing in. You can imagine there's kind of a, a, a crush of people, but again, the disciples, the apostles, Jesus is moving through and there's something that happened that causes Jesus to stop in his tracks. And of course, it brings a teaching moment for Jesus. Teaches the people and wants to teach you and I right now. It says, look at verse 24. So Jesus went with the religious leader. This is chapter 5, verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? Another dull moment for the disciples, right? They stack them up quite a bit, don't they? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, an intriguing story there. Did you notice that this has all, all the hallmarks that we've been talking about for several weeks. It has all those key elements. It has the presence of Jesus that there, right? He's, his presence is making a difference there. It has the power of Jesus. Did you notice that? There, there's a power that went out for him. And did you notice the peace part at the very end? Look again at verse 34. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in. Why would he say that? I mean, go in healing, go in restoration. Go live for me. Why would he say go in shalom? I think this story has some intriguing elements that help us get our mind around this idea of peace. And, and the first one is this, is to understand why Jesus would reference a sword and why he would challenge and say, don't think that I've come to bring peace, is that he is communicating in part that he did not come to this world and this earth to be Mr. Nice Guy. He didn't come to this earth to play nice. In fact, Jesus' whole life and ministry, he came clashing with another kingdom. He came proclaiming the kingdom of God and clashing with the kingdom of darkness. And he came not to play nice, but to confront, to conflict, to stand against, and to take lost territory to take prisoners, to take back what the enemy was doing. He came to stand against the work of the evil one in this world. He did not come like a 1960s tie-dye shirt wearing Jesus saying, make love and make war. I say that because that was my picture of Jesus all growing up. 
And when I saw him turn over tables, when I saw him speak truth, when I saw him as authoritative and strong and facing up to the enemy, I realized he is not the Mr. Nice Guy that I thought he was. And friends, we will not understand the life and ministry of Jesus Christ fully. We will not understand the kingdom life that he calls us to live unless we understand the kingdom of darkness and those forces in which he came to stand against, in which he calls you and I to stand against in his name, power, and authority. Amen. That's the moment that you say amen. Can we get an amen? Amen. Am I going Baptist on you? Yes. He's saying he came to stand against the work of the enemy. Jesus came strong and powerful and or authoritative. And he invites us to stand with him against all sin, darkness, and brokenness. Did he bring a sword? Absolutely. Not a physical sword. Not a, not a sword that, that we think of. Was he standing for peace? Absolutely. But not the peace that we think of normally. He was standing for true peace. He was wielding the sword of the spirit. He was talking about the spiritual power and authority that the father wants to give us to live. He was saying, he was calling us to do battle against the work of the enemy. You see, this this woman, she was suffering. We don't know all the details, but she was suffering. And and, um, this ailment, this bleeding was happening and probably it had become the center of her life. Did Did you see that confession there? that she had given all of her money. She had probably entered into poverty trying to deal with this physical ailment. She was going to doctor after doctor trying to have someone who would address this and it became dominant in her life. Would you suppose for a moment that the woman was not able to sneak in and touch Jesus' clothes? Would you suppose for a moment that she was able to stand right before Jesus, kneeling before him, forcing Jesus to stop and dialoguing with Jesus. Can you imagine for a moment that for just a moment that Jesus stopped right in the middle and she's kneeling there and she says, Jesus, help. And then she shares his, her story with Jesus. What do you think that Jesus would have said to her before she was healed? Do you think he would have said, wow, that's horrible. I wonder what you have done to cause God to afflict you in that way. What do you think? I don't think Jesus would do that. Why do we understand our own affliction like that? Come on now. Go with me now. How did Jesus see her affliction? Did he see it as a judgment of God? Did he say, boy, you better, I'll give you mercy this one time, but you better get your act together. 
do you think he would have said, oh, well, sweetie, do you know that bleeding? That's from the Father. And he wants to do some character work in your life. Do you think he would have said that? Why do we say that about our own ailments? You understand? Can we start to see our lives, our struggles, this world through the the lens of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness? And can we stop labeling the work of the enemy as the work of the Father? Amen? Amen. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're wrestling with. For many of us, we are not understanding our own world and our own lives. Just to reinforce this, there's this another woman that she was literally crippled over. And she goes to Jesus and Jesus is going to heal her. And the religious leaders are there and they're upset that Jesus heals her. Why? Well, because he does it on a Sabbath day. How unscriptural is that? That Jesus would heal on the Sabbath day? How dare he? So they're in this argument, but we're thankful for this argument because then we learn a little bit more from this. This is from Luke 13, 16 says, can we go to that next screen there? Luke 13, 16 says this, then should not, Jesus says, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, remember a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. How did Jesus view the crippling of the woman? Was that was from the father? Was that a judgment from the father for the sin she had done? Did she need to confess? Did she need to lament? No. Jesus was not ascribing the work of the father to her crippling. He was recognized it. Did you see? How does he recognize it? Whose work was that? Satan's work. Mm. Kept her bound. Whose work was going on in Charlottesville? Satan. Do you see it, friends? Do you understand? Every week, friends, I'm trying to get us to see our lives in a different way, in a different way than we've been taught. We need to see it through the, the lens and the view of Jesus. We need to see our kids and our children, how Jesus saw them. We need to see our values, our virtues, our calling on this earth as Jesus does. Every week, I hope that we step into this a little bit more. Jesus did not come to make peace with evil and sin in this world. Why do we? Why do we? We need to pick up the sword of the Spirit and pray 
and oppose and stand against him. Acts 10.38, this is how the apostles understood the life and ministry of Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how we went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus came in a kingdom clash. He came opposing the power of the enemy and he's inviting us to do, to follow him, to join him in his authority, in his power, to wherever we see the skin of the enemy, wherever we see the hand of the enemy, in our lives, in other lives, in this nation and in this world, he's calling us to stand together and be a people of peace, shalom, not the way the world understands. He's calling us to a people who pick up our swords, not in the way that the world understands. The Christian church has missed this. He's calling us to join him in the fighting of the enemy. I was reading the words of a a national public radio journalist, Scott Simon. He tells the story of a change in his understanding of the world. He said, I have always avoided using the word evil when covering terrible events around the globe. He claims he was of the generation educated to believe that evil was a cartoonish moral concept. Friends, I think many of us have grown up in that understanding that we've really devalued the work of the enemy and therefore we ascribe it to the work of the Father. We have chosen other worldviews other than a biblical worldview, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's robbing his church of passion. It's robbing his church of authority. It's robbing his church of that sense of mission that there is a real darkness and enemy in this world. And our sense of call. And then... Um, the uh, Scott Simon goes on to say, but he was watching with his daughters the sickening images from the chemical weapons attack in Syria, April 2017, that killed scores of people, many of them children. Simon writes, we watched in silence. I've covered a lot of wars, but could think of nothing to say to make any sense. When we don't see the kingdom of darkness, when we don't recognize its role in this world, there's going to be a lot in this world that does not make sense to us. Finally, one of the daughters asked, why would anyone do this? He said, I still avoid saying evil as a reporter. I think that's too bad. But as a parent, I've grown to feel it may be important to tell children about evil as we struggle to explain cruel and incomprehensible behavior they may see not just in history but in our own times. Friends, we're never going to fully understand peace 
and the heart of the Father unless we understand suffering and how the Father sees it and sees evil. We're never going to understand the kingdom of heaven unless we understand at least in part the kingdom of darkness. Friends, we are never going to understand how to truly seek peace and be a people of peace, to lean into peace if we don't understand how the Lord sees broken and suffering in our own lives, sin in our own lives, and in this world. Can we start calling evil, evil, so that we might start standing for Christ and for his grace, his mercy, his reconciliation, his love. Why did Jesus stop in the midst of the crowd? Why did he stop? There was power that had gone from him. There was power. He didn't want to go on from that moment where the reality of the kingdom of heaven was flowing in him and through him to heal something that Satan had broken. Do you see that? That there was a moment that the reality of heaven, the power of heaven was spilling into Jesus' life, through Jesus' life, and then healing came. And he says, oh, wait a second. My people need to understand this, especially the 12, because they're so dull. But they, we, we need to see this. We need to saw it because this is the gospel. This is what God is doing. This is what the Father is up to in this world. This is the reality of heaven bringing the restoration of all things. We need to stop and take note and recognize that peace has just come. To someone, Jesus didn't know who it was, or he probably did, but for the sake of the crowd, right? He stops and says, this is the gospel, friends. This is what I'm inviting you into. This is the life I'm leading you to live, is to stand against the work of the enemy, to be a people of peace, a promoter of peace, to bring peace. Amen. Amen. So let's stop and allow this moment to shape how we understand God the Father and his kingdom and the father of lies and our enemy who, yes, has been defeated by Jesus. We know how the story ends and yet he still has teeth. He still has schemes and plots and plans for your life and for this church and for this nation and for this world. He is still at work. Now, let's look at verse 34 because I think that's the crucial verse again. And he says another thing that is problematic for many of us. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now, for many of us, that's problematic because we begin to think quite directly about some of the faith healers that, that we've heard. 
that um, uh, especially the, the, the TV evangelists, if you watch that and there is this direct um, connection, a, a direct cause and effect of faith and healing. For many of us, many of us, we've been around some of that teaching and we've seen when someone is not healed that it becomes a moment of blame and shame. And, and really, it's important that we slow down and understand the faith's connection with the works of God. Our faith's connection with the work of God. I think in the evangelical world, we don't like to talk about faith and our role in connection to the work of God because of the faith healers, but there's one problem with that. Jesus likes to talk about it. Jesus likes to talk about our faith in connection with his work in this world. In fact, he does it often. If the woman would have been kneeling before him and he dialogued with him, I bet you he would have asked some questions of her. And do you know what he would have been probing? Not the details of her brokenness. Not the, so how, which doctors have you seen? Perhaps I know them. No, none of that. Do you know why he would have asked her questions? Not the duration, not the details. Why would he be asked her questions? He would have been probing for her faith. He would have been drawing out faith. But boy, what a beautiful image of this woman. She didn't need that. She had all the faith she needed. She didn't need it drawn out by Jesus. She just believed and she touched. In fact, in another story, Jesus puts it even more blatantly to blind men. They're dialoguing with Jesus, and of course, he asks them a question. Do you believe that I am able to do this? This is Matthew 9, 29. Go to the next screen. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied to Blindman. Then he touched their eyes and said, in an even more challenging way, according to your faith, will it be done to you? Again, how do we understand this? Oftentimes, the faith healers would say there is this strict cause and effect relationship. And quickly we get into trouble. In praying about how to pre preach this particular verse, I was reading a pastor, known, his, his name is Pastor Ken Blue. This is a number of years ago, he, he was leading a church, but also led a, a healing of ministry, Authority to Heal. It's a great book. He was arguing that the longer you're in healing prayer ministry, you realize that there's always mystery and that there's other variables at work. And he said, I realize that there's no direct correlation, not only because sometimes I pray with all my might and all the faith I can stir and people don't get prayed or healed, but the reverse. He tells a story when he was doing some pre-marriage counseling and this couple came in and he's, he's doing counseling with this couple. The couple were Christian, but they were not from a Christian tradition that believed in that healing was for today. And the young man had a cast on his leg, his ankle 
had been broken um, or strained or what have bruised and all of that. And out of obedience, he felt like he needed to not just give pastoral prayers for their marriage and preparation, but he should pray for healing, even for this ankle. And he shares how the young man didn't really have any faith because that wasn't his tradition, but he allowed Pastor Ken to pray for him. And Pastor Ken had almost no faith when he prayed that prayer. He just prayed out of obedience. Later that day, the young man uh, slipped and ended, the cast ended up going into a, a puddle, a pool of water. And it was soaking wet. They had to get it changed. So they went and got it changed. They took off the cast. It was a curious thing. There was no intense bruising as there had been just a little bit ago when they put on that. There was no pain that he had had just a little bit ago. They took x-rays again because it was so odd. Pastor Ken went with his wife to see the young man play volleyball that night because there was no trace. And he said, man, there's something else going on because my faith for healing was so weak in that moment and I knew it wasn't him. What was God doing? And the conclusion that he draws, which I love, and I'm just going to say in just these few minutes, is that for healing and restoration, this part of peace, is that is done, the, there is a context of healing. And the context of healing is a loving relationship between father and his children. And we always press into the context as we are a people of peace, whether that looks like praying for national incidences, whether that looks like praying for one another or praying for ourselves, we're praying, we're pressing into a context of a loving father, this covenant relationship that he has for us. Remember I said, remember that he says, isn't this woman a child of Abraham? He was praying for her. He was pressing in a child of Abraham. That's why you also understand a little bit when um, Gentiles would come to him and he said, no, 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 no. This is for first and foremost the people of Israel because they had a context of relationship with the Father. And he's saying, in other words, what, what Ken Blue would say is, we don't have faith in faith itself. We don't have faith in results. We have a faith in a person. And that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we press in for one another as we press into this relationship. We pray, we lean like the woman, we stretch out to touch the cloak of a loving son, Jesus Christ. Without condemnation, without blame, but we just seek more and more of Jesus. This hits very personal as I, I walk with my wife as she's struggling with these ailments, we said, let's press in to Jesus. Let's pray. Let's trust that he loves her 
in great detail. He cares for her. And so I want to press in with everything I've got to bring his shalom into her body. Can we do that for one another? Do you see those prayers? That's the sword that Jesus is talking about. And he's saying, I'm not talking, friends, about shallow peace of the world, Pax Romana, peace of Rome. No, that's not what, don't think that's what I came to do. No, I came for the, the deepest of peace first in your relationship with the Father. And then peace in your body in your soul, inner peace, inner peace. Peace in your physical body. Peace in your relationships, peace in your church, peace at your workplace, peace in our nation, peace in this world, peace, peace, and more peace. Finally, That last part of verse 34, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Suffering is not the heart of the Father. Shalom, peace is. When in that uh, um, Ephesians 6, when when Paul is talking about the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, helmet of salvation, gets the sword of the spirit, shield of faith. Notice what we are to put on our feet. He says, um, and go in a feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of. He defines the gospel with the word peace. He's saying walk in there with a readiness because this is what your father's doing. This is his agenda. This is his work. So walk, be that people of peace that walks into that place. When Jesus lamented over Jerusalem, the city of God, he said, as he approached Jerusalem Jerusalem and saw the city, he went over it and said, if you even... Um, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, the Father's heart, the Father's agenda, but now it is hidden from you. He's saying, peace. Would you join? Would you walk in the agenda of the Father? Whether that's a loved one, what does peace mean to them? How can we be a maker of peace? Whether it's in your own soul, in your own mind, depression, loneliness, that's not from God. How do we join? The Father's heart is that that would be driven out.